Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Our reading is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkness, darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, as per Rajan talking about the Galatians class, if you've been thinking about that and haven't signed up, the sign up really is only so we have an idea how many people are coming, so we know where to do it. Right now we're planning uh, in the conference room upstairs is where that's going to be. And if you have already signed up, expect an email later today with your homework. Yeah. So there's a little bit, little bit of reading. Little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit of reading. It's okay, I promise. Right? Yeah. Good morning once again, everybody. Thank you uh, to those of you who are here with us in the chapel this morning. It is wonderful to see all your faces. And to those of you who are watching online from wherever you're at, thank you for being part of this community as well. We value your presence every bit as much. I want to take a quick second to say thank you uh, to Will, uh, who stepped in for me very ably a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was very much under the weather uh, and might have been able to get through a sermon, but I didn't want to bring all my germs with me. Uh, So Will stayed up very late on a Saturday night taking my notes and crafting them into a sermon, which got to exactly where I was going to go with that message uh, in his own way, which was a beautiful thing to listen to. Thank you, thank you, thank you for stepping up. We are blessed to have you as part of this community, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I also want to say thanks to those that were able to join us up at Covenant Pines for, uh, for Genesis Vacation. Uh, it's one of my favorite weekends every year, and I know for some parents it was an exhausting weekend, uh, but it was so beautiful to see everybody there and to see those two communities with us and Roots kind of blend together and do that together. I had an amazing time. I, don't, I won't speak for anybody else, but it was, it was awesome, and I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you for everybody who managed to show up for that. And if you weren't able to join us this year, hopefully you can join us next year. It's, uh, it's a ton of fun, and I really, really look forward to it already. So we are back in the season of ordinary time. We took about a month and a little bit more off to talk about creation tide, which is sort of a subset of ordinary time. Uh, and that was in a very interesting dive into God's relationship with creation, our relationship with creation, and our relationship with God through creation. And all of that is part and parcel with being an ordinary apprentice. But we're in the 20th Sunday now after Pentecost, which again means nothing to most of you, except to say that there are six weeks left of ordinary time. I told you just a few weeks ago you were going to blink and it was going to be Advent. And I hold to that. It's going to be coming up quicker than any of us realize. And of course, Advent is the start of a whole new uh, church calendar year. So we're looking forward to that as well. But while we have these six weeks left, we want to talk about being and growing as ordinary apprentices of Jesus. What does that look like? 
So we're going to talk about Psalm 23 this morning, which is perhaps the most famous psalm that there is. We all feel like we know it, right? Which is, that should set off alarm bells and raise red flags, right? As soon as we think we know something, we should remember, hey, do we really know it? And so that's why I want to walk through it this morning with you. When I was a kid, I was in the Cub Scouts. I never quite made it to Boy Scout. I don't know if that's just the noted indoorsman thing or... I, did you, I mean, I'm looking at my folks right now. Do you even remember why I bugged out on Boy Scouts? I don't even remember why I did. I did the whole Cub Scout thing, and then that was apparently enough for me. But one of the things that we did in Cub Scouts was called orienteering. Some of you may remember that. I get a lot of head nods. But they give you a compass. You start at a designated starting point, and they give you compass directions to get you to the next point, to the next point, to the next point, until you end up wherever the finish is. But you have to know where you are, and you have to know what direction to go in to successfully complete that task. And I think that's actually a fair description of being an ordinary apprentice of Christ, knowing where we are and knowing what direction to go in next. And so we want to walk through Psalm 23 together and see what that has to say about it. Walter Brueggemann is one of the foremost experts of the Psalms. And in one of his books, he divides the Psalms into three categories. And he says right out of the gate that not all the psalms fit neatly into one of these three categories, but as a way of thinking your way through psalms, it's helpful. And so he divides them into psalms of orientation. And those are psalms where they focus on celebrating contentment and joy. These are the praise psalms. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. And there are psalms of disorientation. These are the psalms of lament that talk about pain and suffering. Lord, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why am I going through this? And then the third category he comes up with is psalms of new orientation. This is where God breaks through that pain and suffering to, hope, to offer hope and to offer direction. Psalm 23 is a psalm of new orientation. It's a psalm that gives us a new direction to go in when we're dealing with pain and we're dealing with suffering or we're dealing with just the chaos of the world that we live in. So we wanna, I want to walk through Psalm 23 with you all line by line. We're just going to go right through it and talk about each one of those lines and what they mean and what they have to say about how our faith offers us a path forward together as a community, okay? So let's start with verse 1. There's two of, you know, most famous verses in this most famous psalm. Verse 1 is one of them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Sheep are talked about more than any other livestock in the Bible, both literally and metaphorically. And as such, the role of shepherd becomes enormously important, both literally and metaphorically. So I want to start there. We're going to do an all play. For those of you who are new or relatively new, when we do all plays, it's designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the voice of the soloist. So please shout out any answer to this question whenever you like. If you're at home, you can type it in the chat and Nate will shout it out to me. But when you think of the Lord, when you think of God as shepherd, what images, what words, what phrases, what ideas does that bring to mind? Protection. Who's, I'm sorry, Jim? Protection. Excellent. Thank you. What else? Caring. Caring. Excellent. Thank you. Guiding. Guiding. Another one. Perfect. Did you guys read my notes before I did this? <laughs> Fields. Say more. It's like big open space. Big open space. Very interesting. Thank you, Will. I heard two different ones. Presence. Thank you, Hannah. 
Loneliness on the part of the shepherd. Interesting. Thank you, Nate. Committed. Committed. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. Repetitive gathering. Ooh, I like that. Is there anything on, online at all, Nate? Okay. Adventurer. Adventurer. I like that. Joan, what'd you say? Scanning ahead. Then I heard another one. Okay. Interesting. But everybody expects you to do, right? Nate said doing a job that people don't notice, like there's a thanklessness to it. And yet if you didn't do that, they'd notice real quick. Anything else? Great answers. I love it when you guys come up with this stuff. I think all of those are excellent, and I think they sort of divide down into two categories, right? Leadership, and Steve said it, protection, right? The shepherd leads, shepherd guides, shepherd focuses the path of their sheep, and corrects them and adjusts them if necessary. And the shepherd protects. The shepherd keeps predators at bay. The shepherd cares for the sheep when the sheep get hurt. So if God is our shepherd, if the Lord is our shepherd, then it would follow that ordinary apprentices should look to the Lord for leadership and protection. And you'd be forgiven if you looked around the world right now and went, where is the leadership, where is the protection? That's fair. That's a fair question. Because there's a lot of chaos and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering going on right now. But the second half of verse 1 and then the next four verses are the psalmist's attempt to describe what does it look like for God to be our shepherd, for the Lord to be our shepherd. So let's start with the second half of verse 1. I shall not want. This is a tricky translation because we distinguish between wants and needs in English and in Western culture, right? So we're not talking about wants here. I think a more practical translation would be, I shall not lack for anything that I truly need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for what I truly need. God promises to meet our most basic needs. What does that mean? <laughs> because we live in a culture that bombards us with advertisements daily that tries to convince us that we need things we don't actually need. That true happiness would be found if you just drove this car. True happiness would be found if you just lived in this house. True happiness would be found if you had this bigger TV or this new electronic device or whatever it is. We're constantly bombarded and told that we need those things. We don't need those things. We want those things, and there's nothing wrong with having those things as long as you have the proper perspective. We don't need those things. When we think about basic needs, right, food, shelter, community, care, health care, these are the basic needs. I feel like, and I could be totally wrong about this, I feel like I'm about as middle class as middle class gets, right? I'm a paycheck to paycheck kind of person. And yet I drive a decent car to work and to church, and somewhere in the world there's a 49-year-old guy that is lucky if he has a goat. Basic needs are kind of a relative thing. And it's important to have that perspective from time to time because God doesn't promise us a decent car, a decent... He just promises us the basics, food, shelter, community, health care, the basics. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Let's go to verse 2 in the first half of verse 3, which say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. We start with trusting that God will provide for our basic needs. What's the first need God recognizes and God provides for? Rest. Rest for the mind. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm sorry, rest for the body. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Rest for the mind. He leads me beside still waters. Rest for the spirit. He restores my soul. Rest is crucial physically, mentally, spiritually. It is woven into the very fabric of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. God created the Sabbath intentionally, knowing that his people would need rest. If we are to accomplish the kingdom purposes that God has put us here for, you need rest. You need rest. And sometimes that takes intention because life will, life will do what it does and it will keep you up. Sometimes till two in the morning producing music, whatever it is. That's, that's an inside joke with Nate. Um, but rest is important. And now I know that there are people sitting out there right now looking at me who are parents of young ones and who had all kinds of work to do up at vacation and are looking at me and going, okay, single guy with no kids. Tell me more about how I'm supposed to rest. Come on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me more about that. 100%. 100%. And I have to acknowledge, single guy, no kids, I haven't walked that path. And yet I know rest is just as important, if not more so, for y'all as it is for somebody like me. In my experience, rest can be tough to come by. We all got stuff. I may not have kids that keep me up, but I got other things that keep me up. I actually sleepwalk from time to time. It just happened Friday night, where I will wake up in the middle of the night, not all the way, but kind of partway, and I will absolutely be convinced that there is somebody else in my apartment, not like robber, you know, killer, anything like that, literally just somebody else that's supposed to be there. And I'll either shut my bedroom door or I'll go clear off the couch so they have a place. For whatever, and this makes total sense in the moment to do this, to clear a space, to make them more comfortable, and then I go right back to bed and I'm right back out. <laughs> that messes with your sleep, let me assure you. <laughs> and in general, there are times where anxiety gets the better of us all. And I will sit there at night and my poor little Enneagram 5 brain will be thinking, 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 thinking about all the things that I have to do tomorrow, this week, whatever. And that isn't good for rest. That doesn't lead to sleep. I pray most often lying in bed at night when I can't sleep. Dear Lord, you know what's on my mind. You know what's bothering me. I know I can't carry this all by myself. Please, God, come, take this burden from me. Allow me to quiet my mind and rest. And maybe it's psychosomatic, I don't know, but I'm telling you that works. My experience. I'm usually able to rest when I pray that prayer. Rest is crucial for the body, for the mind, and for the soul. And sometimes it takes intentionality, and it takes community, and it takes friends and family to help take some of those burdens off our plate so we can get rest. It's important. It's important. Sometimes it's seasonal. Sometimes it's not about just, can I sleep tonight? But sometimes it's in a, a season of rest. I just need a break from whatever it is. You're allowed to take that. It's built into creation. God will help you find that rest. Second half of verse three. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Rest is important. It's crucial. A thousand percent, period, paragraph, done. And if you're in a season of rest, good but you can't stay there. 
Not forever. For as long as you need. And then it's time to live. And then it's time to act because that's what we were designed to do. We are designed to be in cooperation, in relationship with each other as a community and with God doing the kind of kingdom work that we are designed to do. That rest prepares us for that work. That rest restores us so that we have the energy to do that work. The work of peacemaking. The work of spreading God's love and mercy and grace. And yes, that's work. No doubt. God desires to be in relationship with us because God wants to dwell with us. And that requires work on our part, which is why God sent Jesus to lead us, to shepherd us in the direction that makes that relationship its fullest. You can live a pretty good life, not exactly on the trajectory God has laid out for you, not exactly on that orientation. But if you want to live life to the fullest, if you want to achieve the purposes for where you're here, for why you're here, that requires God, that requires Christ to help lead us. God will lead us in the direction. We trust that God will provide our basic needs. We rest and restore in preparation to follow the path that God has laid out for all of us. Verse four. This is the other big famous verse from this psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death version, which is very poetic, and I, and I like that. This is a better translation for a couple of reasons. One, it's just plain more accurate. And two... Death is not the only dark valley we go through in life. There are a lot of dark valleys. Death is probably the one we fear more than any other. But there are a lot of dark valleys, right? Illness is a dark valley. Losing a job is a dark valley. Just changing a job can be a dark valley. Losing a relationship, the ending of a relationship can be a dark. There's a lot of dark valleys in life. And I think this version acknowledges that death isn't the only one. It might be the scariest, but it's not the only one. But the psalmist says they feel no fear because they're confident that they don't have to face that dark valley alone. And that can be darn near impossible to remember when you're in the midst of that valley. But it's crucial. You're not alone. And they're confident they're not alone, not just because they have a community, not just because they have friends and family, but because they believe, they trust in the provision of God that the Creator Himself is with them in that dark valley. The shepherd herself is with them in that dark valley. The shepherd who leads, using the staff to guide them along safe, safe routes. The shepherd who protects by using the staff to retrieve the sheep from being lost. And the, staff, the, the shepherd who protects by using the rod to keep predators at bay. That's a key point. We get a little caught up in that proverb that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. The shepherd does not use the rod on the sheep. Say that again. The shepherd does not use the rod on the sheep. The rod is there to keep predators away. The shepherd places themselves between the sheep and the predator with the rod to keep the, the, the predators away. You do not protect your sheep by hitting them with the rod. A gentle tap with the staff, perhaps, but the rod is for predators. first half of verse 5 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Again, this is that idea of trusting God's provision. We trust that God will provide. We rest in God's presence. 
We act on the paths God lays out for us. And even when things go sideways, we know God is with us. Sometimes when things go sideways, we feel surrounded by enemies. And God says, even when you are surrounded by enemies, I will prepare a table for you in their midst. I will provide. I will make sure you have what you need. Not only will God provide what we need, what we need, but God will provide a way for enemies to become allies. This is an especially important concept given the time and place that we're in. Because peace does not come at the business end of a bomb. Peace does not come on the wrong end of a rocket. Peace doesn't even come under an iron dome. Peace comes from people sitting at a table and sharing a meal or sharing a drink and talking with one another. That's where peace comes from. God doesn't set us up with weapons in the presence of our enemies, offensive or defensive, whatever they may be. God sets us up with a table in the presence of our enemies. That's crucial. Even when things go sideways, God will provide. And God will provide not only for us, but for the people we least want God to provide for, our enemies. Second half of verse 5 says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In Hebrew tradition, anointing meant sanctification. Anointing meant marking someone as holy. Anointing meant marking someone as set apart as an example. Not apart as in they're good and you're bad, but as an example. Here's something that we all can be striving for. And as we commit to trust God and basking in God's rest and acting in the direction that God asks us to act in, even when things go sideways, trusting that the provision will be there even in the presence of our enemies, we are anointed. My cup overflows. Again, back to this idea of abundance. God will provide. God will not only provide what we need, but will provide it in abundance. And that's not just about us. It feels that way sometimes. It's just, God, what do, you know, help me, help me, help me, help me. Yeah, God will do that. But God helps us in a way that we help one another. I've, meant, I've used this example before, but if you can picture in your mind the pyramid of glasses and pour, you pour into the top and it overflows from that glass into the next row, into the next row, into the next row, that's our cup overflowing. That's God pouring love and peace and grace and mercy and provision into us so that not only are we sustained, but that we are able to help sustain others, our friends, our families, our neighbors, our enemies. That's the flow of God's love and grace and peace and mercy. That's the design. But we have to be intentional about not hoarding it because that's easy to do at times. Just focus on ourselves and our needs. Yes, those needs will be met, but they'll be met in such a way that if you're open to it, it will flow out to other people. So we trust that God will provide. We rest with God so that we have the energy to act even when things go sideways, knowing that God will provide for us. And not only provide for us, but will provide for us in a way that we can share with each other. And that brings us to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Notice here, it doesn't say that goodness and mercy shall surround me. It doesn't say that goodness and mercy shall encompass me. It doesn't say that goodness and mercy will protect me from bad things ever happening to me in my life. That's not what God promises. In fact, God promises almost just exactly the opposite. Things are going to go sideways in our lives. 
What God promises is that in the midst of that sideways, God's goodness and mercy are right there with us. No matter what happens, God's goodness and mercy are with us. No matter how deep and dark that valley is, God's goodness and mercy are right there with us. It can be very, very hard to see at times, but they're there. They're there. God is constantly working to bring good out of evil, constantly. And our job is to find that path where we help bring that good out of evil for ourselves and for our neighbors and for our enemies. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever acknowledges God's promise of renewal and restoration for all of creation. Remember, the goal is not to get hoovered off of this planet and go to the good place and let this planet go to pot. That's not the gospel. God wants to restore and renew creation, bring a new heaven and a new earth together here where God will dwell with us. That's the imagery in the book of Revelation. God will dwell with us here in a new heaven and a new earth. <coughs> Pardon me. In a new and in a restored creation. <coughs> Pardon me. Orientation, Genesis. It starts with trusting God for provision. It starts with trusting that God will meet our most basic needs, that God will allow us to survive and thrive and do the things that God has asked us and planted us here to do. It continues with rest and renewal. It continues with being intentional about taking time so that we can be restored so that we can do the work God has called us to do. And that rest and that renewal provides us with the strength to follow God's lead, and that does require strength. And we follow God's lead even in the most difficult at times, knowing that God is with us in those difficult times. And that's what allows us to advocate for peace and love amongst the chaos. A peace that is not found at the end of a gun, but a peace that's found by extending a hand across a table which is set in the presence of your enemies. I'm about to cough again, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Thank you, Phil. I'll be okay. A peace that is found by extending a hand across a table that is set in the presence of your enemies because you know on the other side of that table, on the other side of that meal, on the other side of that experience, God's goodness and mercy will be with us always. That's the orientation of Psalm 23. That's how we know where we are and where, what direction we're supposed to go in. The psalmist lays it out all for us right there. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with please us, please visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.